if you don't know what you're doing, you copy the best known method. And you never change that unless you have ground to do it. This is where you made a big mistake. Hi, this is Eric Bagley in the Rocket FM studios in Stockholm, Sweden. Time now for episode four of Corona Crisis, Once Upon a Pandemic. I'm joined here in the studio by Mark Vandenbosch. Good to see you finally face-to-face. Yeah, it's exciting to actually be here in real life, in the flesh. And on uh, today's episode, we're going to be joined uh, in a few minutes by uh, Jonas Sundqvist. He is a uh, data analyst from the semiconductor industry. And we've done a lot of work on tracking the coronavirus and uh, making a model for uh, looking at the curves and interpreting the data particularly on death rates, which he finds to be the most reliable data as opposed to infection rates. Precisely. And he's going to be able to um, make some analyses and uh, perhaps uh, some projections on where we are on certain curves uh, in Sweden and uh, globally. So we'll be talking to Jonas in a few minutes here on this episode of Corona Crisis Once Upon a Pandemic. And we need scientists like him because we need facts. There's so much information out there, so many things to unpack. But a lot of things that are available to the general public are really just opinions and gut feelings and what are the facts. And that's really tough to find out. I mean, even uh, we'll find out more about Jonas, but in terms of death rates, which is, of course, a very you know, negative way of looking at this, but it's a good indicator of how the pandemic is progressing. But I read the other day that uh, the French authorities themselves actually have uh, done a mea culpa because their uh, death rates that are being officially uh, put out there to the press are really not all that accurate since they're only relating to people dying in hospitals. So anyone who has the coronavirus dying outside of a hospital context is not counted in the statistics. And that's just one of many other anecdotal evidence uh, that show that it's very hard to know what the true story, what the real numbers are. When you say that the data is the facts, it's not always the case. You have to get a look a little deeper sometimes. Exactly. You need people like Jonas to help us navigate this. And that's what we'll do a little bit later on in the episode. Mark, you've got some observations from the past 24 hours or so since last from we spoke. And all over the world, there's obviously tons of things going on, uh, highs and lows. But one of the uh, interesting aspects of this corona crisis is also the unintended or sort of the, the ramifications over time of this that are not at first glance perfectly obvious. Uh, one news item that I came across is that apparently about one-fourth of the supply of condoms in the entire world comes from one single factory in Asia that's been shut down. And now there's actually people raising flags that uh, there's going to be a shortage on condoms. So uh, as people hear this, I guess they can run to the pharmacy and and pick up their pack while it's still out there before it disappears along with toilet paper and aspirin. But even more serious, however, is that a lot of these condoms are donated for free in developing country settings to help mitigate the spread of disease, HIV and other sexual diseases and, of course, unwanted pregnancies. And when that flow cuts off, are people going to stop having sex? Probably not. What are the consequences of that? And you would never think for a second that that is something related to the corona crisis, but it actually is. We're supposed to be practicing social distancing. I guess sex would be kind of uh, not... There are certain things, you know, I mean, we can only go so far. We've got big problems with this coronavirus crisis, and this is just one of them. Uh, Okay, Mark, what else is on, uh, on your radar at the moment? Uh, well, there's a lot of different things, uh, again, uh, also talking about information and things that are real and not real. I think uh, there's a general uh, a consensus now that the numbers that have been provided by the Chinese government are not to be trusted. Uh, I mean, right now you already have more cases in the United States than you had in all of China, presumably. 
Uh, there's only 3,000 people or so that have passed because of this. In China, which if you look at the statistics coming from Italy and Spain and other countries, it doesn't really add up. Recently, actually, I think it was a couple of days ago, in relation to this as an indicator that perhaps the Chinese numbers are not to be trusted, is that in the Wuhan region, there have been uh, huge deliveries of urns for people to be able to, to bury their loved ones or people that have passed. And the number of urns is far, far, far greater than the number of people that have officially died because of this. So it, it goes to show that we can't trust what's out there. Once again, tying back to Jonas and other experts, we need some help because uh, the picture is very, very blurry, very uncertain, very confusing. Oh, the quality of the data, of course, is, is key. And perhaps we'll ask Jonas how he filters the data, whether he just takes official data. In China's case, I think it's pretty safe to assume that the lack of transparency is fairly deliberate. In other cases, it may not be deliberate. It's just that we have sort of a gut reaction and knee-jerk reaction to certain things and we make certain assumptions as to how things fit together. But in reality, these assumptions are not valid. All right, so joining us on the phone line now, we have uh, Jonas Sundqvist based in uh, Dresden, Germany. Jonas, you're a uh, you're an analyst, you're a market analyst, a data analyst for the uh, semiconductor industry, and uh, you've been working on taking some of your, your knowledge with models and applying it to the coronavirus uh, crisis. Give us a brief overview of uh, what you've been up to with this. Yes, I've been tracking this crisis since mid-February, so that's when it uh, started to become an issue for the semiconductor industry. This was the time where big computer chip manufacturers like Intel, Samsung, and others started to put restrictions on outside meetings with their employees because of the fear of getting the virus into their production facility. At that point of time, so let's say like mid-February, this was the China crisis. All the cases were mainly in Wuhan, spreading out in China. It had not reached Italy yet. It had not reached the U.S. U.S. got hit early on. Most people have a view that it came like to Italy first and then spread and then it came later in the U.S. But if you remember, U.S. got on the West Coast many of the early cases, like Seattle. But then it was contained there for a while and it came into Italy and that's where we have the start of the European crisis. During this time, I started to track this and dug into the data you could get out of this. Immediately, you see exponential growth curves, beautiful curves. They are not beautiful because of dead people, but from a uh, mathematical, physical standpoint, perfect exponential curves. They are very easy to forecast, very easy to model. The semiconductor industry was, a, was somewhat ahead of national governments, of some of the crisis management institutions in different countries. So they're already taking precautions uh, weeks before yeah. the rest of the world. Yeah. So you can go in intel.com, look at their supplier page. We will have their policies starting. The first one is from 14th of February. Second one came two weeks later. Then they were forbidden to meet people who had been in Italy, China, Korea, Japan, unless these people had gone through a 14-day quarantine. And this was, I think, 26th of February. But you know, Jonas, it's kind of interesting because what you're uh, talking about right now is that uh, private industries were, as Eric said, ahead of the curve. And at that time, you're talking about early February, and yet governments were still sort of downplaying the risk of this pandemic. And I just wonder, why was private industry better equipped to forecast the implications of this than the governments? It's very odd. Yeah, it is. Uh, I mean, I've been working in clean room fabs since 2003. I just know if I would have been... You know, I'm a process owner of a tool and I see my dot going bananas. You know, the wafers are coming out with no yield, no two weeks later in the factory and I have to put down my equipment. I would probably get fired. You measure everything you can as much as possible. You collect the data. 
do data crunching, data mining, and look for trends. Is there any trend, some data that you don't understand that is starting to peak? You're looking at hundreds of parameters coming out of the equipment. You have contamination control. You measure regularly if you have any contamination in the production line. If you have contamination, you put part of the line at still stand, and then you don't release any process until it's confirmed that it's clean. If you translate this to the coronavirus situation, it would mean if you find the virus in a um, facility, in a home, you would lock down this area, this person immediately. And you would not remove anything from that area unless you have confirmed that the area is clean. The virus is not there. That's the basics of contamination control. I think people are just used to think of it this way. They have seen this curve, this type of data through their life. makes no difference if it's a virus or if copper atoms diffusing in the wrong place. We call it in the semiconductor industry, we call this killer defect. So the virus is a typical killer defect. It's enough with one of these to kill the whole device. And in this case, it's enough with one virus to kill a human being. There's no difference. Well, it's interesting because in your models, you seem to suggest that when you identify deviation of this kind in a, in a manufacturing process, you, you, you isolate the problem and so on. Yeah, there's another thing I also learned in the semiconductor industry. You always define something you call the best known method, the BKM in short. In the beginning of this crisis, the best known method for containment was China. China was the first BKM. China was the only country who had managed to flatten the curve. The second country to flatten the curve was South Korea. They had a different strategy. I'm not going into details, but it's quite different, but they also flattened the curve. It's sort of the benchmark way of handling the crisis for, let's say, a more open society than compared to China. Japan has their way of doing it. Singapore has their way. Taiwan has differently. Hong Kong, but they all have experience from previous big virus outbreaks that have never really reached us in Scandinavia. This is what you define the DKM is the best known method. And what you do, if you don't know what you're doing, you copy the best known method to start with. And you implement that right away. Then you take a break, you dig into deep, look at the data, see if you can optimize it, do something better. But you always keep on copying the best known method and you never change that unless you have grounds to do it. This is where Europe made a big mistake. They should have copied either China, South Korea or an Asian country right away. It doesn't matter which one they would have picked, any would have been better than to watch what happened now in Europe. Jonas, so first of all, I mean, the data that you look at, of course, that's very important. Uh, you look at uh, yep. deaths. That's the most reliable data you found. But even we talked earlier in the introduction here, Mark and I, about the reliability of data, even death data coming out of China, perhaps uh, other countries as well. We don't know yet. Yeah. Do you do anything to sort of clean the data, to check the data for reliability, or are you just going by official statistics? No, but I'm careful with data. So I know that data from Iran, they would have strong reasons not to put out the real numbers. Maybe they fudged us a bit. China maybe also, but it's hard to hide the growth trend. You have some strange things in the China data, but it can be explained by the change of definition or testing method. I think the Iran data is not really crucial for the European situation since the most virus came into Europe via China, Italy, and there was also some inserts into France, I think, early on. I think it was because Paris had direct flights with Wuhan, for instance, and then it was out there, and then it was more of like arbitrary which country got it into their healthcare system first and in this case it happened to be Italy and that's why we have the situation and then it spread from there. That's why what you do is you segment the world. 
when you look at these things. You can't look at just single entities. I early on segmented Scandinavia as one segment, and you could see exponential growth in Scandinavia. And that was the sum of deaths occurring in Norway, Denmark, Sweden, and then eventually there were some cases in Finland. But if you look at them separate, you could not see exponential growth. But if you added all the cases up in Scandinavia, so all the vacational returning from the Alps, from Italy, from Ischgl in Austria, they brought it in the same way. Mainly there were some other channels also from Iran and so, but I think that was the main path. You could see exponential growth. I've been following it now for more than a week for Scandinavia. The last couple of days, you can separate out Sweden and Denmark. is taking off. Norway has a flat curve. They never entered the real exponential curve. They flattened the curve right away, how it looks now. Interesting. So now you can see it. So how predictive are these, uh, these curves, uh, Jonas? How uh, well can they predict what's happening in the days and weeks ahead? Yeah, I could tell you for the countries I'm tracking, I can tell you how many will be dead by Easter evening. You can give a hard number on, on a prediction of different countries and death rates on a given date. Yeah, I could give you a table. It's not going to be a happy Easter for anyone. So what, what, where, where do you see the trouble spots at this point? You say that in some countries the curve has flattened, other countries it were getting steeper. From your models, though, Jonas, what are some of the places that we should be looking at? So Europe, so I group Europe into four groups. You have Italy, Spain. You all know about the situation there. But both countries are showing tendency that their curves are flattening. So that's the good news. Then you have a second group traveling behind one or two weeks, depends on how you count. And that's France, Netherlands, Switzerland, Belgium. And then you have a third group, that's UK, Sweden, Denmark, traveling at the same speed. And then you have another group, which is Germany. So Germany has definitely much better control of the situation. They have a lot of cases, but Germany has adapted the um, South Korean type of handling of the crisis. Germany is expanding the analytical capabilities. They are locking down villages. They are locking down us. Total different situation than in Sweden. And the healthcare system is in much better shape if you compare with all other countries in Europe. Then you have another group, which is smaller countries like Norway, Czech. They closed their borders really early on and have only reported two cases. Finland is also totally different. They locked down Helsinki. Based on, on the so, modeling on, on the modeling that you've been doing and also looking uh, from a granular perspective on the Nordic uh, region, uh, would you say that Sweden yeah. is an outlier or are curves uh, in Sweden, are uh, fatality curves and others, are they mirroring Denmark, Norway, Finland or are we sticking out? So at the moment, if you look at the number of casualties per 1 million inhabitants per capita, Sweden and Denmark have the same growth rate. You can't say statistically really Interesting. that uh, neither Denmark or Sweden is better off. And as you know, Sweden and Denmark are completely different way of handling. Precisely. But then you also have to say that the lockdown is the delayed effect. So since the incubation time of the virus is up to 14 days, if you look at the Italian data, when they implemented the harsh lockdown conditions, you know, they started with Milano. There was some actions before that. You have a delay of, I think it's 19 days for Italy before you see an effect in the casualties. And the point you're making is that Denmark yeah. has implemented more stricter measures, but only in the yeah. last couple of weeks. So it's a bit too early to see yeah. what the ramifications are. I think yeah. and end of the coming week, you should, if there is an effect, it should come end of the coming week. Right. And one of the other guests on this program talked about the fact that uh, this virus is a very slow burn, really. It can span over yeah. a month's time. So obviously, whatever measures yeah. you take today may require up to a month to show effects. 
And I guess that's what your models are showing right now. Yeah, so I looked and I mean, you have these countries like South Korea, Germany, that are doing a lot of testing, so a lot of statistics available. There you can model the progress and the slowness of the inertia of the whole system. So you see you have, you know, the COVID-19 confirmed cases, then you have the persons taken into intensive care in hospitals. Then there's a, after they get into the hospital intensive care, there's a time delay of maybe five, seven days, and then they start to show up in the death statistics. So you have the hospitalization data is lagging. It depends on which country and timing of this crisis, let's say 10 days or something like this, and then you have another five to seven days until people start dying. For Italy, the last time I looked, was sort of 19 days delays. All you have to do is to make this spreadsheet for each country, and you can see it. And, and you know, I'm sure that the authorities in Sweden, the experts at Folkhälsovindigheten, and they're doing exactly this. I was looking for this data. It was not available. Sweden is an open society. Everything else is open. I know when my neighbor's birthday is. I know where it's working and everything. But I can't get this data out of Sweden. I have to make it myself. I have to go to open sources, collect it, put it in spreadsheet, and look at the data. And this is what a lot of people are doing these days, because except for some governments, you know, there are very clear statements out there. So, I mean, look at the UK. They recently went out with that. We think that if the UK gets 20,000 dead, we should be happy. The forecast for the number of deaths in Italy, I think, is 25,000. You know, Italy is a bit more population than UK is at similar level. So you can calculate this would mean that if the Swedish model works, let's say it works, they don't have to change anything. I could say that Sweden should get uh, 3,000 dead, maybe. But this so is very, it's very early on message. in the Swedish curve, so I can't, uh, I can't say with any interesting, mathematical certainty. Interesting no. that there's no more transparency. Yeah. As you say, uh, in this country where you can find out what your neighbor is making uh, as a salary, you can't find out these kinds of numbers. I guess talks about how these governments are really struggling to, to, to manage the narratives. Although, yeah. uh, as far as Sweden is concerned, I'm a little surprised. I thought there'd be more transparency here. It's interesting to hear. Hi, Jonas, we have to round things off in a, just in a moment, but perhaps um, we've talked mostly about Europe. Uh, can you say a few words about the situation in the United States, uh, where you think things are going on a national level? And I'm not sure if you look at some of the more uh, regional uh, data in the United States, whether it's uh, New York and uh, emerging hotspots, uh, New Orleans, Chicago, and other locations. Yeah, so the U.S., I haven't done the real segmentation yet. It's up next, but the, uh, as you can say, I mean, it came, you have the time delay. It came early to um, Seattle, West Coast, and there it was like, slumbering about for a while. U.S. has not started really until quite recently, but it's following the same growth curve as Italy, like all the Western countries. It's just copying the Italy straight up. You can translate this to the population of U.S. And if I'm, you know, back of the envelope, Italy will have 25,000. Italy has a population of 66 million or so, or 50 million. And U.S. has five, six times more than that. Yeah, it's going to be anywhere between 100 and 200,000 dead in the U.S. if they just do lockdown, measure, containment. And they may be hotspots now and critical areas in New York, but there will be hotspots all over the U.S. Great to have your analysis here. Very different perspective than uh, those we've heard on previous episodes. Is there any place we can um, go to look for your data? Yes, boldengineering.com, B-A-L-D, engineering.com. Thank you very much. Yeah. Jonas Sinkvist, it's been great talking to you. Keep on crunching those numbers and keep us uh, up to date. Oh, thank you, Eric. Thank you for this great podcast. Thank you. Bye-bye.
All right, Mark, some pretty sobering stuff there from Jonas. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I have to say that based on Jonas's analysis and a lot of the things we've heard from our other guests, it seems that this need that, that governments have to manage the narrative, and I guess they don't want to spread a panic, as I sort of understand. It's a very slippery slope, you know, yet yeah, there's an equilibrium there to hold. But at the same time, it does go to show that as individuals, if we really want to know what's going on, we have to dig deeper. We can't just take at face value everything we hear through the, all these different, you know, official communication channels because they're not really giving us the whole picture. So we can see, he's talking about this curve, saying that Denmark, for example, and Sweden are at the moment tracking on the same curve. But Denmark has obviously instituted far more uh, stricter measures than Sweden has over the last two or three weeks. And to see if that has had an impact, which of course I think will be a good parameter for what we should expect in this country. That's it for this episode, number four on Corona Crisis, Once Upon a Pandemic. Denmark, we'll see you again soon. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Eric.